Hey y'all and welcome to a special, special episode for me and for my family and for my close friends of Broadcast His Love. Today we have the most beautiful woman in the entire world on the podcast and I hate that this platform doesn't have video because you could be blessed with her presence. <laughs> She's laughing quietly. This is my grandmother, one of my grandmothers, my grandma Marty. Say hello. Hello there. I'm delighted to be here today with my granddaughter. She, um, I, I pulled her out of the laundry room. She was doing laundry for us, which I told her not to do. I pulled her out to do this interview, and I just want you to share with us your story. Uh, beginning where? Beginning in Washington. Okay. <clears throat> to begin with, um, I will preface what I'm going to say right up front, that uh, it was God's direction and God's will for my life. Uh, I had no idea what direction I was going in when I graduated from high school, knew I needed a job. Uh, there was uh, some information that came into uh, my senior class about civil service jobs in Washington, D.C. I thought that sounded wonderful, so I made an application, went to Tampa, did a test, uh, was accepted. Uh, arrangements were made for me and a friend to go to Washington uh, to stay in an all-girls hotel <laughs> for two weeks till we could find our own lodging. And there we went and got on a train and went to Washington, D.C at 18 years of age. Wow. We had a job that was already programmed for us. We went, uh, we were in a school for two weeks to learn what to do with uh, the white copies, the blue copies, the pink copies, the yellow copies that would come out of our typewriter. Right. Now you young people today don't even know what a typewriter is, okay? <laughs> but at any rate, then we had to find a place to live. Right had no idea where to go, where to start, but here again I will tell you that it was under God's will that we ended up at a boarding house. Now a boarding house was where you had a room and two meals a day, mm -hmm. six days a week. The lady that owned that boarding house was a wonderful Christian lady mm -hmm. and that was a plus for me and actually Last Sunday, a week from today, her two daughters, she has passed away, but her two daughters who live in Maryland and Atlanta, Georgia, came to Sebring, Florida to yes. visit. Yes, that was very special and for you. Th and that was very, very special. Uh, one of the girls I had not seen in probably at least 40 years. Wow. So we had a wonderful visit, and they've always continued to stay in touch with me, and uh, and I very much appreciate that. And you them, you've made an effort to stay in, in contact oh, yes. with them. Actually, when their mother was still alive, she used to come to Florida to visit us at least once or twice a year. Right. So we moved into a boarding house, and um, that's where I met my husband. I love this story. Okay, so this <laughs> but, is your love story, and I do want to get into your love story. Um, first, I want to ask you a question because some people who are listening to this podcast, 
Um, maybe they've had, they have relationships from a former job or a, for, a former internship or something, a special experience in their life. Do you have any advice for anyone about keeping relationships through the years? Because you, I mean, decades and decades that you have had these relationships, what would you recommend for others? Actually, staying in touch with uh, friends, uh, relatives, whoever, uh, when you are not close enough to visit on a regular basis, it's a two-way street. Uh, someone may get one of your friends that you, wherever you've lived, that you've made friendship. If they get in touch with you two or three times and you do not respond, they will not continue to get in touch with you. Mm. It's a two-way street to stay in touch. And actually, the younger daughter of the lady that had our boarding house, whose name was Wilma, right? Uh, she's the one that I really credit for staying in touch. It seemed to be very important to her to stay in touch with us. Mm -hmm. And so, therefore, I felt it was important for me to stay in touch with her. And so we do see her a couple of times a year, and we hear from her very often. Right. The older daughter, the older girl, uh, we have not seen as much over the years, but we've seen her several times. We just don't stay in as close a contact with each other. Right. But it's a two-way street. So if you, you know, don't ever complain about uh, a friendship that maybe uh, has dissolved to some extent. Okay. Don't complain about that if you are the one that did not stay in touch. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. That's if, so if good. You, if you are the one that did not stay in touch, then you cannot blame anyone else. Well, and you can't. What about multiple attempts? If you've made, let's just say two, one or two attempts to reach out to someone and they haven't reached back out to you. That's a little bit deeper in thinking about it because certainly my husband and I do have people from our past when we were in Washington, that uh, for quite a while we all stayed in touch. Then gradually, I think life changes so much for everyone. Right. Uh, children, grandchildren, um, health problems. Many times it's health problems that keep people from staying in touch. And the best I can say is that you just keep trying until maybe you get to the point where you can't do it anymore. Many times it's health problems, uh, age factors that keep people from staying in touch. Okay. Okay. Well, I didn't want to derail you from your love story with Papa, my Papa Russ. How long have you all been married? Um, 62 years. 62 years. So we are about to get some amazing life advice. If you're in your car, if you're walking the dog, if you're just walking yourself, okay, this is going to be good. So listen up. Um, 62 years of marriage. 62 years. Tell us, how do you do okay, it? Okay, well, let's see. We met, We, my friend and I moved into the boarding house in Washington, which was in a wonderful area of Washington, D.C., uh, our boarding house was uh, three levels, actually four levels, and um, it was in a wonderful area. It was the 20th in Massachusetts. I will never forget those Oh, those we should streets. go visit. I've Twi never thought about going to visit, but 
20th and Massachusetts. 20th. And Massachusetts Avenue was known as Embassy Road as a nickname. Okay. Because many of the embassies from other countries were located on Massachusetts Avenue. Okay. And um, so it was a wonderful place to live right off of DuPont Circle, which yes. was and still is a major area in it Washington. Is. I know about it and I don't live there. <clears throat> so yes. it was extremely easy for me to get to work. I worked uh, for the Navy Department in the Bureau of Ships in a, quote, temporary building <laughs> that had been there for already for many years. But it happened to be uh, four stores high and four blocks long. Okay. That's how large the building was. Okay. But I loved working there. It was a wonderful place to work. I loved Washington, D.C., period. There wasn't any part of it that I did not like. I love hearing you talk about Washington because you light up. Oh, I loved it. I loved it. It was a wonderful experience for me. But we moved into the boarding house. My friend that went with me uh, did not stay in Washington that long before she came back to Florida. But that was not a problem for me because immediately, you know, the, the boarding house felt like home to me. At any rate, um, the boarding house only had like maybe six girls, and the rest of the boarding house was young men. Yes. And they all, all of them were in the Army. Um, all of them, with the exception of one, were already college graduates, and they were in what was called the Army Signal Corps. Okay. And they worked in the White House. Okay. In the basement, they would tell you. Which Papa had a really interesting job, too. What president did he work for again? Eisenhower. Papa said that President Eisenhower loved to play golf. Yes. And that he had a, an area where he would practice his swing in the basement area. Right. And so Papa would see him walk to go practice his swing. Exactly. So, and yeah. also there was a theater, of course, in the White House. I think basically it was what was considered the basement area. And Eisenhower loved to watch movies. <laughs> and the very latest movie that would come out, of course, he had the availability of watching it. And once he got into the theater and he would sit very close down to, to the screen, then the young men that were on duty, meaning my husband and whoever else, uh, could take they could take turns to go see the movie, but they had to wait until Eisenhower got into the theater and got settled. How neat. And then they could kind of sneak into the back, sit okay. to the back and see the movie. So did Papa go? Oh yeah, because invariably when there was a new wonderful movie out and I would say to him, let's go to the movie. He would say, well, I've already seen it. <laughs> With the president. I so, didn't know that he would slide needless, in. <laughs> needless to say, I missed seeing several good movies because he would say, well, I've already seen it, Marty. So It yeah. sounds like he said it to you in a very nice way. Well, he did. He was a little hesitant to tell me that he'd already seen it. So sometime I'd round someone else to go with me, but usually I just miss seeing it. <laughs> and so th those were some of the fun things that happened. Um, 
we could, when the 4th of July came with all the fireworks, we could go to the White House lawn and watch them. Amazing. And so there, there were a number of things. And, um, but the men that worked, the young men that were in the Army Signal Corps and all of them that lived at the, war, at the boarding house were there. They all worked together. Okay. So, uh, but they they were dressed in officers' uniforms. Oh my goodness! How could you not fall in love with Papa? <laughs> He's I mean, from that, Florida. <laughs> he went to the University of Florida. He's in the army, working with the president, seeing all the latest <laughs> movies. And you're from Auburndale on your first job out, like 18 years old, and you run into a man who is fully strapped in his amazing suit. And actually. I remember the first time I met him because we had a lovely dining room to have dinner in every night. And when I went down to dinner this particular night and sat down at a table with a friend uh, named Harry, uh, Harry said, Marty, this fellow sitting right over here to your left is from Florida. And I said, now, Harry... You are just obsessed with Florida because he came from Chicago and you're always talking about Florida. And he said, no, he's from Florida. And then he said, now, Russ, where are you from? And Russ said, Frostproof. Wow. Which would be I, right down the road from where I you could, grew well, up. Well, Frostproof was probably 45 minutes from Auburndale. Amazing. And you all were in Washington, D.C. And we were in Washington, D.C. and met. And no, it was not love at first sight. Uh, I actually came up to Washington to just experience the wonderful part of being in Washington. Did not, had no idea of meeting someone that was going to be my soulmate for 62 years. My sister came up for a visit. I had no vacation time to show her the sights. But Russ did have time, so I asked him if he would show her all the different sites in Washington and the things that tourists like to do, and he very graciously did it. So I think to begin with, that endeared him to me, but at the same time, I thought he would be wonderful for my sister because I always wanted the best for her. So I thought, oh, he would be wonderful for my sister. But instead, he ended up being wonderful for me. Henceforth, you understand why it was God's plan for me to be there. And it was God's plan for him to be there. So a lot of the times from my friends who are not married or have not met the perfect someone, you know, when I say perfect, you know, the right one, the true love and all that. They say, oh, everybody tells me it comes when you least expect it. What would you say to that? Well, I, I think I could say that. <laughs> I'm not sure you can actually go out and say, I'm going to choose my soulmate. Because I definitely did not have it in the back of my mind. I just thought it was thrilling to be in Washington and had no plans to meet anyone, no plans to get married. And to tell you why I did not have any plans to get married, in fact, we were married in Washington before my husband uh, got out of the Army and we came back to Florida. Uh, we probably would not have come back to Florida, but his mother was quite ill at the time. And here again, 
I'm sure it was God's will that we came back to Florida. I'm personally glad you did. <laughs> I loved my childhood in the same town that you yeah, all moved back to. Exactly. Yes. But um, at the same time, I think if you're if you're in the right frame of mind, if perhaps if you're a Christian and you believe in uh, God that He actually uh, wants the best thing in life for you, right? that he will lead you to the right person. But I have to be honest with you, that was not my thought at 18 and 19 and 20 years of age. But as time went on, I became to realize that that really was absolutely, it was God taking care of me. And it was also my mother, who was one of the most wonderful Christian people that I have ever known. And I even had a brother who was a Baptist minister. Yes. But he couldn't hold a candle to my mother. <laughs> uh, but I happen to know that she prayed for me every day. So that does make a difference. Yes. And you're the one who taught me really how to pray, I would say. You taught me how to pray. Um, well, your uh, other grandmother also did. Yes, yeah, she did. Yes, yeah, she did. Yeah. My grandma. Your other grandmother, she has passed Carolyn away. taught you. Yes, she has uh, passed, unfortunately, but she lived a fruitful and long life and she loved Jesus. Yes, oh my she goodness. Did. And she would tell you if yes, she met she you did. today, she would tell you. Um, the one thing specifically that you taught me that I will always carry with me, and I've mentioned it before on the podcast, is you always said, Ricky, when you pray, and you were very direct, you said, end it with saying, in Jesus' name, I pray, amen. Because that's what the Bible, that's what God in through the Bible told us to do. It's true. I did look it up after you said that. I mean, I believed you. Don't get me wrong, but a lot of the advice that you've given me has been from scripture. And that's so valuable because especially Riley and I were two people who are always looking for advice and we're Christians and we'd like to say that we're getting advice from God's word. And nowadays there's so many quotes that you read online or people say lines that they've learned from their experience, but there's nothing like that bedrock foundation of advice from scripture. And you've been that person for me who's always brought it back to, hey, let's let's talk about where that says that in Scripture and how we can learn from that, and then we'll go on with our lives from Scripture first. Well, actually, God tells us in the Bible that when we pray, that we that we do the prayer to Him, but we do it through His Son, Jesus' name. Yes. Because Jesus is so important and so precious to him yes so therefore that's why we need to go through jesus to take our requests whatever we prayed to god about maybe we've just thanked god for a wonderful day for what he's done for us but it uh, it needs to go through jesus so that it goes to god directly yes and uh, something else that you always tell me is when it's more or less when you're talking about other friends and family. I don't. I don't even think it's family, but more or less friends in your life, and um, you've seen it in their lives. And so you tell me about it that they've prayed for something in their life to change, and you said when you pray for it, have faith and trust that God will take care of it. And that is um, a scripture. It's Matthew twenty-one verse twenty-two, and it says. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. 
And you have taught me that. Oh my goodness, like thank you, Jesus, for you telling me about that because it's not in our timing that things happen. And when you pray, if you, my line of thinking in prayer is that if you do not genuinely believe in prayer, then there's no point in doing it. You have to believe. I mean, it's a thing of where you, you recognize God as being um, so miraculous that it's difficult for our minds as a human being to understand how wonderful and how powerful God is. And when there's any kind of a problem that you're praying about, and if you believe that God's going to answer it, it may not be the way you want it answered. You have to yes. recognize that. It may not be the, the way you want it answered, right. but however it gets answered, it will be the right thing for you. And then you don't forget to, to thank God for doing it. Yes. Oh, yes. You have to thank him. You have to thank him. I mean, tried and true in the Bible where the Lord has blessed certain individuals. And, and at the end, you know, they, got, they have to give the glory back to God because it wasn't their doing. Exactly. I mean, I see that so often in my life when something happens and someone, and you know, you work hard to achieve something and someone says, oh, you did such a great job. Congratulations. Or, uh, thank you for doing that, doing that great work or something where I'm very thankful for their appreciation. The first thing I should say is, well, praise God. Because God is the one who gave you the ability to accomplish what you wanted to accomplish. I often think of, of doctors who have the confidence in themselves to operate on you. It amazes me that they have that kind of confidence in themselves and they have that ability, but it's also because God has given that to them. Yes. What do you think about even people who have small jobs? Is it the same all across every job platform? How can you encourage people where they are um, specifically too? I think this is going to come from a really special place with you because for uh, a period of time, you were a stay-at-home mom. Yes, so, all the years that my children, my son and my daughter were growing up, I did not work outside the home. Right. And I look back on it and I loved the ability that I could stay home and do fun things with them. But also living in a very small town, uh, as many years ago as my kids were born and growing up, you end up being called upon to do so many community things. Okay. It's a constant thing of working on this and working on that. And the school needs you. They need for you to volunteer for everything. Cancer societies, you name it. They're, the phone rings off the hook for you to to do something, to be, to go do something for someone. So it, it gets to be somewhat of a problem sometime. Uh, and it takes a while before you learn how to say no. And then after my children were grown and out of college, I went to work, which I loved working. So uh, it was like two different eras in my life. Right. But I enjoyed both of them. I enjoyed both of them. You have been someone who always enjoys where you're at. One of the piece of, of, pieces of advice that you have given me is when you host a party. Now think of, when I say this, think of this about life in general. When you host a party, focus on the people who show up to the party. Well, my line of thinking always on entertaining, big or little, 
um, is that do not concentrate on those who cannot come. Mm -hmm. It's very easy for someone that you really wanted to come to a party or a luncheon or whatever you might be doing that they call and say they can't come. It can be very disappointing. You do not want to do that. Do not concentrate on who can't come. You always want to concentrate on who's coming. And that can be related to so many different things, not just hosting a party or an event, but in your own life with what you were talking about earlier about friendship. People who show up to the party, maybe you're the party, Grammarty is the party. <laughs> I feel like that was meant to be. But um, yeah, you focus on them. Yes, you, you focus on who you're dealing with, who you're being with. Uh, maybe you go to something, uh, some event that someone invited you to, and you really weren't crazy about going to it, but you thought, well, I'll go, and you end up having a wonderful time. You end up having a wonderful time. You meet new people. Right. So then you're so thankful that you've gone. But I tried to teach my children when they grew up and began to be involved in life and things that they would do. Don't concentrate on who can't come. You know, don't, if you plan lunch for, with someone, they call it the last minute and say they can't come. Don't be disappointed. You know, don't let that be a disappointment to you. Uh, turn around and call somebody else and have lunch with them. <laughs> invite someone who wants to come to the party. Yes, invite <laughs> someone who wants to come have lunch with you. Amen. That is so good. Um, I There are a couple other big life advice tips that you've given me that I think would be super encouraging to people. You have this advice about a toilet seat and marriage, and you are laughing right now. <laughs> And a little bit of embarrassment, I can tell, but this is marriage-saving advice. Tell us about the toilet lid story that you told me when my husband Riley and I first got married. About the toilet seat? The toilet seat. Well, that story comes from my daughter getting married six years ago at the age of 54. She had been married years and years ago, mm -hmm. and it did not work out, and so... After many years of being on her own and having wonderful jobs and traveling all over everywhere, uh, she met this uh, young man who happens to be a few years older than her. But at any rate, he actually had had a tie with Sebring. Right. And uh, had spent part of his growing up years in Sebring, basically his teen years. But at any rate, they got married. And very quickly, she found out that uh, it was important to him for the toilet seat to be put down, for it to be closed up. And he <laughs> he's really be so embarrassed he, by the story, but I really do think it'll he help. Really had whoever a, is listening, he just right had now. a fit. Yes. if she left the toilet oh, lid up. Right. Well, I had never taught her that the toilet lid had to be put down, so it it didn't go well with her. <laughs> I mean, it so wouldn't go well with me either. It was a constant source of irritation between the two of them about the toilet lid being put down. Right. And so somewhere along the line, you were telling me okay. something about something that didn't. And I said, listen, if, <laughs> if the toilet lid not being put down is the worst of your problems with your mate, forget it. 
put the toilet seat down. Just put it down. Make him Just happy. Down. And the other way you described it, O'Reilly and I were going through a challenge. And yeah, I'm sure it was very small, yeah. but it was something to where one of us was very passionate about something. Yes. I don't remember what it was, but it, uh, it was like, you know, and he I'm, or I feel this way and I'm not changing. I feel passionate about it. And you related it to the toilet lid. Because I went to um, a seminar many, many years ago that a chaplain from a big hospital in Miami came to Little Sebring and did this uh, three-night seminar type thing. And I only made it one night. But what I learned from that was that he said, uh, when you have a mate, when you're married, there is no such thing as two people that can say we've never had an argument. He said, I'm going to tell you that it's not possible. There's no way. But he said, there are people that will say that. But he said, what you want to do, you may think you know your mate every way there is to know him or her. But the bottom line is you do not. You don't know the little things that irritate each other. Right. And he said, if there's something minor, like the toilet lid, right, <laughs> that that irritates your husband okay. or your wife, then, then don't do it. You know, put the lid down. Just put the lid down. Just put the <laughs> lid down. It's not that big a deal. But if it's something that's really important to you, okay, something that you really believe in, that's very important to you, you need to discuss it and work it out because I'm not telling you that you need to change. Yes, like put the phones away, have eye contact with each other and, and talk. This is, a, this is one of those conversations where someone is passionate about something in the relationship. Exactly. So this isn't, um, hey, what are we getting at the grocery store? This is, hey, I'm really passionate about this. It could be a job, a... I don't know, a hobby. It could be something that you really want to get into, but you need their support. Right. Or, you know, you just need but, their help. But they need to understand how important it is to you and accept it. Yes. And that is hard to do. It I is think. difficult. I think it's really hard to do because what if that other person doesn't see it the same way you do? Yeah. Well, that's where, it, that's where it's got to be worked out. You know, marriage is a give and take. Yes. You can't always have your way in a marriage. You can't always have your way. Yes. You know, there are just times when you've got to give in on something and just say, well, I just accept it for the way it is. And I'm sure that was true of your life when you were in the city that you love of Washington, D.C. And my grandfather looks at you and says, we're going, we're going down to... We're going to Florida. Florida. Going back to Florida. We're leaving... A place where we're working with the president. <laughs> I cried all the way from Washington, D.C. to Florida. Oh, I hate to and hear that. And that is no exaggeration. I absolutely cried until I couldn't cry anymore and I'd stop. Then in a little while, I'd start crying again. I'm I just so cried sorry. all the way to Florida. And and Russ never said a word. You know, I'm, I can't believe he didn't tell me to shut up. <laughs> or I'm going to stop this car and you get out. <laughs> well, there is a way to handle conversations. I mean, that would have been something so difficult because that would have been something that you were really passionate about. Oh, I was. I loved Washington. and But I understood why he needed to go back to Florida. 
So I understood that. And he that was an only child. He and was times an were only different. child. His mother was not well. So I understood him going back to Florida. And so therefore, I was going with him. You were. <laughs> you were getting in that car and you were being I was awesome getting in one. that car and going. But yeah. that didn't keep me from crying. It didn't. It did. It's okay to cry, right? Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. And he was so dear because he never said a word to me. Yeah. He just drove and let me cry. <laughs> One of my girlfriends, she says that it's really good therapy to cry. She says, if you feel like you need to cry, yeah. you should just cry. Oh, remember I told you about watching a sad TV thing? Oh, you did. And Wait, I was... You have to preface this because you were watching Little House on the Prairie and years ago, years ago, and you were ironing. And I was ironing, which you young people really don't know what that is. And but. when you were telling me the story, you asked me if I need, if you needed to tell me what ironing was. <laughs> <laughs> you do have some spunk to you, okay? <laughs> but at any rate, um, I was totally by myself. There was no one around, and it was sad. And I was trying not to cry. And finally, I thought, why should I just not cry? I want to cry. <laughs> I turned the iron off. I sat down and put my head in my hands and boo-hooed. And just boo-hooed. Cried, just boo-hooed. <laughs> and it was good for me. So today, if you need to cry, just do it. Just do it. <laughs> you know, just do it. You can cry in praise. Right. Go ahead. Go ahead and let yourself cry. If it's you good feel like you, you need to. Sometimes yeah. um, it can be like, well, I'm pregnant right now. And um, I can be very testy at times, especially towards the end of this pregnancy. Sometimes it just feels good. It just feels good to cry. Yeah, it yeah. It, it is good to cry. And sometimes crying is a good cry. It's not because yeah. you're sad. You can be like, praise you, the Lord. Sometimes you, know? you cry because something wonderful has happened. Right. Not necessarily to you, maybe to someone else. I wanted to ask you just your thoughts on this. Um, I, I don't know why God put it in my heart as a burning passion to like, know in the back of my mind, if someone gives you a compliment, say the words, praise the Lord. I don't know where that came from. Um, but I always feel guilty when I don't like I, maybe I sinned or something like that. I don't know. I'll get to it later with the Lord. But you, um, told me, I love when you say that because your mother used oh, to my say mother, that. My, my mother was always so happy about anything good that happened. And she would always say, praise the Lord. So it's a family. It's a family thing that we laugh about, but we also feel good about it. Yes, but sometimes it can be awkward to say that. Do you it think... is. Sometimes it's awkward. You're not in a position where you can say, praise the Lord, but my mother would have. It didn't matter where she was. Well, what I mean, what would you recommend? I mean, I'm asking you selfishly here. If it's a situation where it would, maybe it's a work thing. You know, where you don't work for a church I'm, or something. I don't, think, I don't think when you say it in the right spirit and you're not being obnoxious with saying praise the Lord, maybe it's just something very quietly that you would say when someone tells you something good or something good happens to you. I don't think there's anyone that would be offended. I don't, I mean, I don't think so. I don't think there would be anyone that would be offended. Yeah. I mean, obviously our goal here is to get people to Christ. We're not going to be Bible thumping. Uh, actually, I have a dear friend who is Jewish. Yes, we and, love her. She and, is athletic, smart, and has been married for how many years? Uh, more than 62, maybe 63. 
64 65 and her and her husband are trailblazers in the citrus industry yes amazing but anyway continue yes they're jewish well because there have been times when i've been with her and and she's one of the most positive people that i've ever known Mm -hmm. Uh, very seldom will she ever bring up a real problem uh so she's such a positive person but i guess i've said praise the lord (laughs) enough around her that she does it now Yes. Oh, that's cool. That she that she'll say, "Oh, praise the Lord on that." <laughs> what a fun thing to smile yeah, about with and, your friend. And she openly talks about how uh, wonderful God has been to her and her sister, right? Because they were born in Germany during the World War II days when things were. They had to come out of Germany and left their uh, father behind. Oh no, I didn't know yeah. that. And they were ended up being adopted out of New York. They, after a year, I don't know where they went from Germany to Panama, the Panama zone. Then somewhere or another, they got taken to to New York and ended up being adopted by a couple who lived in Leesburg, Florida. In Leesburg, Florida. Mm-hmm. Okay. So even though their mother and their father was still alive, they ended up being, they had given them up to be adopted. Okay because they didn't know what was going to happen to them. Right. I mean, wow. Her story is a testament of faith and perseverance, yes. and, and, and she is incredible. She's just a lovely, lovely, and, and very confident, you know, never wants to be negative about anything. Or anyone. I've never or heard anyone. her talk bad about anyone. Oh, no, she never will say anything. She tells me that the one of the main things about the Jewish faith is that you never... You never say anything negative about anyone. And it should be like that in the Christian faith, too. Yeah, I struggle with it. I mean, we I think we all do. It's natural. It seems to be our natural, sinful way, probably. Right. To, to think negative about someone. Right. But she's very, she never, never, she says it's very important in the Jewish faith that you do not say negative things. Right. And she and her husband do not. Right. Well, and I'm reading a book right now. Um, I believe it's called Everybody Always. It's by Bob Goff, who's an author, best-selling author. And his challenge is to take the word enemy, you know, like in the Bible where it talks about your enemy. And maybe your enemy doesn't look like someone who doesn't not simply like you, but take the enemy as someone in your life who doesn't act or talk like you, someone whose values are different, someone who you wouldn't want to hang out with. And I know this is a different term for you, but we call it ghosting here, like ghosting. Millennials call it ghosting where you just kind of ignore a friend. You know, you're a ghost. You just kind of go away for a little bit. (laughs) But in this book that Bob Goff wrote, he challenges us to live like Jesus. And um, I mean, you know how Jesus invited the disciples to the dinner table and he knew that one of them was going to turn their back on him three times and not and not remember who Jesus was and then he Jesus was going to go on the cross and die so um it's I, that was a tangent but I think it's really good life advice as when you want to talk bad about someone don't see them as don't see them as ter- a terrible person which I'm going through this right now in my life God's really breaking down the walls on um some things about how I see different people who have different values than me. 
don't see them as someone who you want to avoid. See them as someone you want to love. That you can be a positive influence for them. Yes. Maybe, maybe they can see you for the kind of person you are and want to be more like you. Right. And love them. Like love them yeah. for who they are and where they are in their lives. Well, of course, Jesus, when Jesus mm -hmm. lived and walked on this earth, he did, you know, he did not keep himself away from, from people that, uh, that quote, weren't Christians. Right. I mean, come on. Yes. You know, like, preach. He, I mean, he, that's the reason he came to this earth. Right. Was for people that needed him. Yes. For all of us, really. Oh my goodness, for yes. all of us. Yes. But, you know, some sometimes it's difficult, though, to be close to someone that really is so totally different from you. Right. You don't want to really turn your back on them, but it's difficult to be close to them. There comes a time when uh, you can't totally associate with someone that thinks entirely different from the way you think okay. about life. It's difficult to be, it's difficult to them to have them as a best friend. Let's put it that way. Let's dive into that a little bit. Talk a little bit more about that. I wouldn't say, let's, let's not dive into the aspect of best friend, but just as a friend maybe. Well, I think, Ricky, there's not really anyone that I've ever known that could be friends with so many people as you were in growing up. You've the same. Everyone you're, loves you're a, you. You are a prime example of of anyone that knew you in high school <laughs> or college. They get excited when they find out I'm your grandmother. Well, you're so they sweet. get excited about it. I wish that was still true today. But because. Um, <laughs> They just say you were just one of those pe wonderful person that you were always friends with them, but that didn't mean that you were that they were your best friend. Okay. But you were always friends with them. You were always concerned about them, and they really appreciated it. And you're one of the people. You're probably the only person that I know that didn't seem to have an enemy in high school. <laughs> <laughs> I can honestly I mean, tell you, I don't think I did. It's just kind of natural for girls. <laughs> to have other girls that they don't like in high school. <laughs> I mean, is it fair to say we have the best class <laughs> out of I all don't of know, the classes? But, but I don't think I don't there's know. anyone that ever had a negative word to say okay. about you, Ricky. You're sweet. That they always appreciated you as a friend. I think you had the unique uh, quality about you to make anyone you knew feel like that you really were their friend. Well, and I'll tell you this, my faith then was so strong and God, God broke me my junior year going into my senior year of high school. And, and I learned who God was that summer at a church camp. And I thank God that I went to that church camp and parents, if your kids are old enough to go to a church camp, do the research, check it out, but send them to a church camp or take them on a missions trip. You know, don't even question it. I mean, pray about where they're going, where your money's going, you know, make sure they're going to be safe there, all the things. But this church can't change my life. And I think my faith then was so kid-like, childlike in a way, that everything was so innocent to me at that time. Well, and I'm sure it was because, uh, but I think everybody that knew you knew uh, the kind of faith that you had in God. Mm -hmm. 
that you were a Christian, but the thing about it is you did not set yourself apart from them. Oh, I, because I felt you I did was not. You just... did not set yourself apart from anyone. We, we were all and the same. And even though they knew that you were a Christian, they right. knew how strong your faith was. Yeah. They would have known there were certain things you would do, certain things you would not do. But they also accepted that because you you never separated yourself from them. I just wanted to be cool like yeah. everyone else. Well, you were wonderful. You were wonderful because to this day, and even though you've You've been gone from Sebring for a number of years now, but ever so often I run into someone who knew you and recognizes me as the grandmother, and you know they um, immediately light up. Well, they thank just you. immediately. I love you. You're awesome. amazing. Um, I do want to ask if there's any more advice that you would give anyone because this is such a special thing. You've had a successful career. You've been a successful mom. You were stay at home for a short period of time, and then you went back to work after the kids were in school, right? Well, after actually, they had graduated from college. Okay, and then you went back to work. Um, or I went to work, let's put it that way. Yes, you did. Yeah, because I, I had not worked from the time they were born until they were out of school. And I do want to ask you about one thing, something that hit home with me, a story that you shared and you've been very honest with me about it, is that after your babies were born, that was a hard time for you. And before you answer that question um, or just talk about that season in your life, I've got a, a one and a half year old right now and then another baby coming. This season has been really, when he was younger, that was a really, like six, zero to six months was really hard for me. And you were one of the first people who came to me and said, oh, that was hard for me too. Oh, yes. It was a, the older my children got, the more I appreciated them, mm -hmm. uh, the better I deal, I dealt with them. Uh, it was very diff, very difficult for me to start out with a new baby. It just wasn't something that I gravitated to. But not everybody will not admit everybody... it. Will admit it. Yes. Yeah. Pe a lot of people don't want to admit that there was a period of time with their children when they didn't do well with them. What was that time like for you? Well, I just didn't know what to do with them. You know, I didn't have that natural instinct that supposedly mothers are supposed to have. In fact, when my daughter, who was the firstborn, uh, cried constantly, constantly, it was a bad, bad, bad time. And anyone that was exposed to her at that period of time knew how bad it was. And in talking to uh, my doctor about it, um, he was a rather old-fashioned doctor, but wonderful. But you know, I said to him, "I don't, I don't know what to do. I don't." And he said, "Oh, Marty, your mother instinct will tell you what to do." Well, my mother's instinct never did tell me what to do. Okay. Man, I think you're going to so be reassuring So then you feel like, people. you know, something's wrong. If you don't have an instinct for this little tiny child that's crying and crying and you don't know what to do. So you, what do you do? Uh, basically, you let them cry a lot because there's not anything you can do to, right? you know, they can't tell you what's wrong. Right. And you were big about telling me. Make sure they're fed. Make sure they're changed. Now, this is coming from a woman, my grandmother right here, who had the cloth diapers. <laughs> so, Oh, yes. So cloth, she, cloth diapers. Yeah. So when you say that and give that advice, it's more than 
just changing a diaper. So you say yeah. make sure they're clean, yeah. make sure they're fed, make sure they're comfortable. And, and they're yeah. still crying, and you don't know why. And you don't know why. And After you've taken them to the doctor. Well, and actually at six months of age, we took her to a, a very large clinic. Uh, and we left them for a day. We were instructed to have her there at 7.30 in the morning and don't pick her up until 5 or 5.30. Right, a specialized and, doctor. And see what we can find out. Well, they did blood work. They did all kind of anything they could think of. They found nothing wrong. Mm -hmm. I mean, she actually was quite healthy. And finally decided that it just, she just uh, maybe was overly sensitive to things around her. Right. Like my father had just died, and, and it was terrible for her. It was terrible for us, but it was even worse for her. And they gave me sedative drops to okay. give her. And it gradually calmed her down, and then it calmed me down. And <laughs> Thank uh, God, right? And, yes, thank God. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so gradually she became one of the best children there could ever be. Um, okay, so now I'm going to ask you to be the ultimate grandmother to all the, even, let's talk up to the dads too, the dads and the moms who are listening to this podcast and maybe they're in a place where they're struggling and they're to be um, a, a, a positive parent. Well, I think the big thing, uh, and the, the doctor helped me see that because he said, uh, this child is just overly sensitive about everything. And because you probably from the very beginning right. with her birth, did not really know how to react to her as a tiny baby. You know, that motherly instinct did not click in, so to speak. Right. And so when something happened that she cried maybe an extra, maybe who knows how long, but you became very uptight about it. Who would So it becomes a vicious cycle. Yes. It becomes a very vicious cycle that right. this baby is uptight and you're uptight. And you don't know how to how to how to settle it. Okay. Until the baby quiets down, you've got to find some way or another to quiet your child down to make it to make everything more livable for you. Right. And then you find that motherly instinct will click in. It will. That motherly instinct will click in. That you will mm -hmm. then know how to take care of your children, how to take care of your baby. But when you have a baby that's crying two or three hours at a time and you don't know what to do and you've done everything you can think of to do, then it's very difficult. It's very difficult, not only for the mother, but also I would never have made it had it not been for Russ, for my husband. Yeah, you said that. Yeah. And it's very important to work together as a team yes. in taking care of children. Yes. It should not be, it should never be just the mother's responsibility. Right. There are single moms out there who do it and hats who off. Who have to do it. Oh, who have to. And yeah. oh my gosh, you know, praise God for them. You know, it's just so many different circumstances for everybody in raising children. Mm -hmm. And even more so today. But my husband was very much into taking care of our children. Yes. And uh, he was the one that would get up at night and make sure they were covered up. <laughs> that type thing. So he was very much into taking care of our children. Well, um, is there anything else you want to share? 
not really. I feel like I've done a lot of sharing, and I'm not real sure whether it's been good or bad, but I hope it's been good. And I've enjoyed doing it. It's I been have, very special. I've enjoyed to listening. have my granddaughter sit here and ask me these questions. Well, you've just been a wealth of information and guidance for me. And so um, this platform, this podcast is a place where I want people to come to to be encouraged and to be supported and to be loved and to know that they're going to be okay. It's going to be okay. We're going to get through this. Yeah. And oh man, you can't do it alone. You can't do it alone. And this podcast is a place where I want people to come and share it with their friends and maybe they're out on the walk, but know that you're not alone, that it's not my voice talking. I pray that they're getting connected with God, with the Holy Spirit, with Jesus. Praise the Lord. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Well, if, if you have a problem, just hang in there with it until you solve it. Yes. You know, don't, don't tell yourself that it's always going to be like this. It doesn't have to. Mm -hmm. Actually, somebody years ago said to me, you know, Marty, a baby crying doesn't do anything to their health. It doesn't hurt them. <laughs> I read articles. And I think I thought it was going to kill the killer. I, thought, you know. I really thought. But they um, said, you know, you, it's not going to hurt them. No yeah. matter how much they scream and cry, it's not going to hurt them. So if you're dealing with a problem, just grit your teeth and wade through it. Yes. And, and ask God to help you to solve it. Yes. And two, I want to close that thought with just saying, always seek a doctor, always seek professional help with the children. If you have questions, ask your doctor, Absolutely. write it down on a piece of paper. If you don't think you'll remember when you get there, even write, maybe just do it right now or not. If you're driving, don't do that. Pull over to the side of the road. But those questions that you have for your doctor for not only just your children, but maybe it's yourself. You have questions, seek a professional because there is help out there. Even if it's in the form of counseling, um, it's our job as people to, to go get help because it's out there and we're not meant to do life alone. And I do want to close with this Bible verse. Um, it reminded me of you and it's from John 14, 13 through 14. And Jesus is saying these words. He's saying, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the father may be glorified in the son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. And this is just going back to the last thing that, or not the last thing, but earlier in the conversation, you said, pray about it, pray about it, say it in Jesus name and trust him, believe that he's going to do it. And it may not be in your timing, but it's going to be in God's timing. And it may not be what you asked for, but it's going to be what he wants for your life because he wants good in your life. So, um, Grandma Marty, will you close this out in prayer? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this special time that I've had with with Ricky. <laughs> and I pray that uh, something that either I have said or that she has said, that there will be someone in particular that hears this and that it will help them uh, with anything that may be going on in their life that they need help with. And may they know that the important one to ask and seek help from is for God and then God's son, Jesus. So thank you for the many things that you do for us, the good things that happen to us in our lives that we so often take for granted. And may we daily grow closer to you 
and may we be an inspiration to someone else. And here again, dear God, I thank you for this opportunity that I've had. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, y'all. Thank you so much for listening to my grandmother's story. I hope it inspired you. I hope it encouraged you to just love Jesus so much more and to just see him as so tangible because her life stories are so real and they just bring you right back down to earth like, hey, it's going to be okay. It's not going to be like this forever. If you're going through a bad season, it's it's not going to be like this forever. God is there. He's listening and he's hearing your prayers and just have faith and trust in him that it's all going to work out. It's all going to be okay. Grand Marty is awesome. So thank you. Thank you for listening to that. And this is a new podcast. I have a special request for you all. We've been around since the beginning of 2020 and it's been so exciting. It's been so fun. I do have a request. I want to know who you want to hear on the podcast. Remember, this podcast is called Broadcast is Love. So we want to talk to people who are broadcasting God's love no matter their platform. So if you would like to reach out to me, that'd be great. I'm extremely easy to find. You can look me up on Instagram at Ricky Van, R-I-C-K-I-V-A-N-N. Or you can email us at broadcasthislove at gmail.com. And yeah, let us know who you want to hear on the podcast. We appreciate you for listening. We hope you have a great day and we hope that you go out and encourage someone else. May you decrease and may God increase in your life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.